thanks for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. This is David Perkins, and we're so glad that you're listening. Hey, if you're a part of our family meeting online or in person, we want to encourage you to get connected at Radiant Church KC across all social media platforms. God is doing something incredible in Kansas City, and we love connecting with you, whether it's through our app or even through all the content available on our YouTube page. Hey, our prayer is that God uses this message to change your life and that you could become a dynamic disciple of Jesus. Thanks for listening. Enjoy this message. Amen. It's great to see everybody today. Yeah, let's give it up for all the dads. Can we do that? So great. Hey, uh, you're looking good. I have a uh, first, a few things. One, I want to just honor uh, last week, Pastor Nathan gave an incredible word. Can we give a big hand to Pastor Nathan? Thank you, my brother. Mm-mm-mm. So good, so good. Hey, a few things coming up. Number one, we have Bold Conference coming up in a couple weeks, everybody. And so, yeah, that's good. Hey, uh, it, currently we have over 900 uh, teenagers pre-registered, which is the largest that we've ever had. And so it's going to be great. It's probably going to sell out. And we have 160 of you that are serving on the Dream Team, uh, which is more of you that are volunteering than ever before. So let's just give God a shout out for that. So great. Thank you so much. And I uh, want us to continue to pray that God um, just really works powerfully in the lives of these young people. Second announcement is this. Uh, on July 15th, we'll have Serve Day again. This year, we have more serve sites than we've ever had. So we have six serve sites this year. And so um, this is our biggest serving day as a church of the year. And so if you're able to serve that day, uh, it's a moment where we serve our city. And so um, that's going to be great. If you're able to sign up for that, uh, jump all in with Serve Day. That's going to be a great day. And then also I want to encourage you because we have 36 summer small groups, which is more than we've ever had before. And so thank you to all of you that are jumping into a, a, a small group. Can we give our small group leaders a big hand, everybody? A big hand to all of our small group leaders. Uh, if you have your Bibles, let's go Ephesians chapter 6 today. Um, I want to uh, start off by honoring my dad. I know my son Dawson honored the fathers, but I want to honor my father. Uh, I love you. Dad, will you stand for just a moment? Uh, come on, I know you don't want to stand, but I am so grateful for you and so thankful for you. And uh, what I teach today, uh, you taught me. And so you, know, you modeled it for me. You taught it to me. You, t- you were not just uh, my father, but you taught me how to be a good father. And uh, now I'm going to teach these uh, fathers a little bit too. So I love you. Forever grateful. Um, all right. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Here we go. Um, here's, here's what I want to go after today. Now, this is, this, is, this is a lot. So don't be overwhelmed when I say this. Um, and I know I'm going to talk fast, but I want to go after seven habits of a disciple-making dad. Now, I know you just got scared. Seven. And you just... Nudge your wife and you'll be like, this is going to be all day. Yes, it is. It's all day, everybody. Um, no, but we're going to go after these seven habits. And, and when, I, when I say this, a um, few things. One, I'm going to talk fast so that I can get through it. Um, I thought about making it a seven-week series, but everybody's going to go on vacation over the summer, so you'd miss one, so I'm going to say all of it today, all right? And so um, if you're listening to this on YouTube, don't go on uh, double speed because this is going to be double speed, baby. Um, but, but I also want to encourage you, uh, everything that I say today uh, works just the same for moms. So I am speaking it to fathers, but it works uh, the same way for moms. And then also, if you are a disciple maker, so if you have decided to be a part of the Great Commission where Jesus told us to go and make disciples, everything that I say is applicable to a disciple maker. And so it's not just for fathers, although the illustrations will be for fathers and a lot of the application will be specific for fathers. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6, let's read this and we'll go. All right. Chapter four says this, fathers do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Listen to how the message says it. Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them. Take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Father, we love you today. We ask Lord Jesus that you would help each one of us to be what you have called us to be. We ask that we would hear your voice. We pray that the Bible would come alive to us. We pray that we would implement the ideas that we read in the scriptures. We pray that you would help us to be fathers in a season where our children are bombarded with immorality every day. We ask, Lord, that you would raise up a house of fathers, that this church would embody disciple-making. We come against every scheme of the enemy that attacks our children, and we pray, oh God, give us your grace, your strength, your wisdom. We need it desperately. And everybody said, amen. Amen. 
When I say these things today, I'm not aiming at perfect fathers. I'm aiming at determined fathers. So although I'm going to give a lot of content today, my, my hope is that you wouldn't hear this and see that the bar is so high that you as a father would just check out and say, I could never measure up. Instead, what I'd like to do is I'd like for you to just hear me be excited, believe it, and cast vision for what it could look like and for you to make the applications that you're able to make, ask the Holy Spirit what he would lead you to, and then make those applications. But I want to start off by really hitting that idea that I'm not looking, I'm not trying, I'm not aiming at perfection. And I am giving a lot, and it is a high bar, but I thought I'd start with just telling you one of my failure moments, just to prove my point, all right? And uh, last summer, our family vacation, um, we go to uh, Hilton Head. We had driven all the way from Overland Park to Hilton Head, South Carolina, which is a long drive. Uh, and I don't know how many of you fathers feel this way, but by the time that I get there, I feel like I need an, I, I'm already dead. It's already like I'm, 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 I'm not vacating. I'm so tired by the time I drive everybody there. So anyway, we arrived. It was the very first day. We got into the water, got everybody on the beach. We got all of the food right all the way there, the gas right there. You do the budget and make sure that you can actually do all this. We get there. I've got everybody in the water. I've got four teenagers. We're all there. It's, I'm very excited. I'm very grateful. Finally, it took us a long time to drive there. And we're in the water for, I don't know how many minutes. I'm going to guess seven to 10 minutes when all of a sudden my 15, back then, 15-year-old daughter, Olivia, runs out of the water and screams that she has been stung by a jellyfish. Now, here's what should happen in the heart of the disciple-making father. It's actually what Renata did, just compassion and sympathy. And maybe we should take a break from the ocean. And are you okay? And all that. But instead, what went on inside of me is we have worked so hard for this moment. And we are going to swim no matter what. And so uh, <laughs> Renata got out and she started taking care of Liv. Dawson got out. He started taking care of Liv. And I said, if you can stay, stay. We're going to swim. And as soon as Renata and Olivia and Dawson were far enough away, Way, I looked at my younger two, Adeline and Justice, and I said, I want you to swim. And I'm, I, I, I'm not even sure that Olivia was really stung. I know she says she was stung, but there's probably not really jellyfish in here anyway. And there's, a, there's hundreds of people up and down this beach. And so we are going to swim. I doubt she was even stung. And I was kind of frustrated because I had that feeling of, man, I have worked so hard for this moment. And I'm giving the speech to my children when all of a sudden, like a pain goes right on my thigh right there. And I'm, I literally go, ah, and I get out of the water and I start running up to the beach. My youngest son, Justice, doesn't buy it because it's so dramatic. How could I be giving him a speech that there's no jellyfish in the water only to suddenly be stung? And Adeline is saying, no, dad means it. And Justice is like, I don't believe it. Right. And and so uh, only to then go, I got infected a little bit. I go to the, the, the doctor's office and the nurse says, in all my years of looking at uh, jellyfish stingingness, uh, I, this is the worst one that I have ever seen. And so I just thought it was just like the Lord saying, I see you. And so anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I have waited a long time to tell you that story um, uh, out of just broken uh, shame. But anyway, so um, just, just, just to start off there. Now, I know there's pushback. Okay, that's going to be your, I'm not saying that's my worst moment. That's just the only moment I'm willing to tell today. All right. And so uh, I'm just telling you, I'm not, I want to hit that point. I'm not, I'm not trying to aim at perfection. All of us fall short. All of us are weak. All of us are broken. But I do want to invite you to take this idea that we hear from Paul, where he says, don't don't provoke them to anger. That's one version. Or don't exasperate them. Instead, lead them in the way of the master. And so it's capital M master. It's in lead them in the way of Jesus. I want to look today at the way of Jesus. I want to look at the way of the master, the way of Jesus. How does Jesus make disciples? I'd like to invite you to think about the idea that your first discipleship calling before the small group that you lead is your family, is your children. 
And I want to aim today at different ages. There's fathers that have babies. There's fathers that have toddlers that have elementary, maybe teenagers, maybe young adults, maybe adult children. And so I'm not just talking about a certain age. I'm going to try to apply it, uh, give some application to different ages. But I'd like you to take the principles. I'd like you to take, uh, I'm going to give some principles, some verses, and then at the end, I'm going to give a habit, and then I'm going to give you an identity. Because I think that if you can start to develop these, see it in the scripture, then develop a habit to apply it, you'll start to even identify the way that you'll see yourself is in some of these ideas that we see in Jesus. And I think it's interesting when we read out of Ephesians 5, that text, where Paul says, do not get drunk on wine, verse 18, but, or instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. So don't get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then just a few verses later, here in Ephesians 6, you get, really, Paul giving us the same kind of talk. He says, hey, don't provoke your anger, your children to anger, or do not exasperate your children. Instead, and he gives an instead, instead, not that, but do this, lead them in the way of the master. And it's going to take the Holy Spirit helping you for you to make disciples of your children and lead them in the way of the master. It takes a spirit filled father to be able to do the things that I'm talking about today. It takes where you are unashamedly, you have decided on your own strength, you will fail miserably, but by the supernatural power of God. And here's what I am aiming at today with a little bit of bite. I do want you to have some resolution. I do hear like the primary thing that comes up often is all the reasons why not you why this is for somebody else, why I couldn't. And I, and I just want to invite you to ask God, not ask David, not, not give me, re- I just want you to come before God and say, what would it look like if I did try to lead my children in the way of the master to the degree that supernaturally empowered by God, I am able. So let's look at, I'm going to give you seven habits that I see in the life of Jesus. And I'm going to go a little fast here. But let's start with this first one. I want to invite you to, it's the word enter. I want to invite you to think about entering into their life. So easy to always say, child, enter into my life. But one of the ways to make disciples is to show an investment in them. Where you care about what they care about. Jesus does this with Peter when he first calls Peter. So in Luke chapter five, let me read this. A lot of Bible here, but I want you to see it. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. So he actually gets into Peter, Simon's boat. I wanna, I'm going to pause there. He, he gets into what Simon cares about, what Simon knows Simon's occupation, Simon Peter, the businessman, owns a boat. The way that he provides is by being a fisherman. Jesus gets into his boat and asks him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat, from Peter's boat. When he he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, master. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in, in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Okay, which is a, this is, this is fun. This is Jesus entering into Peter's world, Simon Peter. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me for I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will. And he uses the language that Peter knows. He uses the method that Peter knows. He uses the passion that Peter has. From now on, you will fish for people or other versions. You will fish for men. So they pulled their their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. Here's the application. I see Jesus intentionally entering into 
Peter's world. Could have just been the rabbi from Galilee. Could have just started quoting Isaiah. Could have just tried to uh, bring Peter into what he's doing. But Jesus enters into Peter's world, sits in his boat, gives him a catch. As a businessman, Peter would have been very thankful for a big catch. I mean, that would have caught his attention. He enters in and then he uses the same language, the boat, the, the big haul in. And then even, even, I mean, that would have been a big deal. And then he uses the same language. I'll make you a fisher of men. Here's the, the way I want to imply it in terms of making disciples. As we as fathers look at our children, I know the temptation. I've done this many times. I had a moment where I'm entering into one of my son's lives. I'm thinking I am doing a great job. I invite him to go to the OU versus KU football game. And I'm thinking, I'm a great dad. I'm crushing this. I am awesome. I am taking my kid. And I loved it. It was awesome for me, baby. What's up, right? Because the longer that I was there, one of the things that I realized is that this was great. This was good. I would give it a B because it was something that I liked, but it was not necessarily something that he liked. Is there anything wrong in it? No, but it's not as much entering into his world. One of the ways that we enter into their world is to discover it's different in elementary than in high school, than young adult years. Or, but if, you, if to the degree that you're able to enter into their world and discover what they care about, it will give you language. It will give you a, a means. So anytime that you look at, if you have a friendship, right? If Nathan and I have a friendship, uh, there's something that we both spend hours a day doing, like weightlifting. We both, we're just addicted to it. It's amazing. <laughs> Sorry, just one of us. But anyway, hypothetically, all right? If, then we have that in common, right? It gives us something to talk about, all right? So when my son Dawson was three, I suddenly decided I am very much into Lightning McQueen. I'm into Doc. I'm into Mr. The Queen. I know a little bit about Sally. Don't hit, want him to know too much about Lightning and Sally, you know? But I'm, I'm, I'm in, just a kidding. Okay, tough crowd. All right, I'm, I'm into what he's into. Does that make sense? So one of the early steps is, Instead of just coming and railing on all of your ideas, enter into their world. Take a step into what they care about. A way to spell discipleship is T-I-M-E, time. Be with them, spend time with them. One habit, you could develop one, but one way that Renata and I take with our kids is we have something that we call special time. I tried to call it other things. Renata called it special time. Somehow everything that Renata names sticks and that's how it goes. So we call it special time. And for us, it's one-on-one -on -one time where we'll spend time and just enter into their world. And so it might not necessarily be a specific hobby or sport. It could be their affection. It could be having dialogue about friendships. It could be dialoguing about um, what's going on at school but you're entering into their world. The temptation as parents is to always focus in on behavior modification. That's what is the, that's, that, that, that's the easiest one. And, and, and when, we, when we do that, I'm all for behavior modification, but there's a lot of motives that get to behavior modification. And where, where you wanna aim is not just behavior modification, but you want to aim at affections and allegiances and desires and the why behind the behavior. So one of the best things to, to put on your, is to on your calendar is to have calendar time where you're saying, I'm going to choose this. So in, especially when we have uh, little kids uh, or teenagers and they still live in the home, this is a season where parenting is going to take a higher precedence. This is a season. Hey, I'm a runner and I am into this sport and I have three, three businesses and I do these things. Okay, great. And it is an intentional decision to, if possible, say no to some very legitimate good things. I'm not saying they're bad things in order to enter into their world, in order to go to the game, in order to be with them in order to do anything like that to enter into that world. That, and, and that identity, the way that you'll even start to think about yourself in terms of uh, as a father is you'll think as a father, not in, uh, a friend. So not in substitute for being a father, but as a father, you're their friend. So you actually have some things that you both enjoy, that you both like, and you develop some of that, all right? Now, there are some things that my kids uh, and I, 
that I like that they don't like, seafood and some other things, right? But I'm, I, I'm trying to find, I'm working diligent. I have one friend, he's, he identified with his three kids, this child, this child, this child. And he entered into what each one, and for him, there was three different sports. And then he became a, a little bit of an expert on those three things, not because he was mostly cared about track and swimming and baseball, but he had three different kids and that's what they liked. So he knew the numbers about the, the, the state track. You know, he, he knew about those sports. I'm just giving examples, but where you're identifying a way to connect, all right? And I see Jesus doing that even when he calls Peter. Second is this, to bless, all right? Now that's a Bible-y word, but, but to speak. Listen to the way that Dallas Willard gives this idea of blessing. It's speaking the intention of God, to speak the intention of God. Listen to the way that Jesus does this in Matthew chapter 16 with Peter. So Jesus comes along and he starts a conversation when they reach Caesarea Philippi. He starts talking, asking questions. Peter jumps up and talks and Jesus talks back to Peter. And he says this, blessed are, verse 17, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, which means rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. So he's speaking identity. So we know that Peter's gonna have some good days and some bad days. Peter's gonna have some moments where he walks on, on water and some moments where he falls into the water. He's gonna have some moments where he has this great confession. You are the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then in the next chapter in 17, he's gonna come up with an idea and Jesus is gonna say, yeah, get behind me, Satan. And that's, a, that, that's rough. And then he's gonna have moments where he's gonna say, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And then he's gonna have moments where he hears the rooster crows after he said to his servant girl three times, I don't know him, I don't know him, I don't know him. He's gonna go up and down. And Jesus says, let me tell you how I see you. Let me speak identity. Let me bless. You're, you are Peter. On this rock, I'll build my church. He's, this is who you are. This is one of the things with your words. I would invite you to a habit with your words. One of the worst things you can do is have destructive words for sure. But in addition to that, the addition of speaking identity You've heard me tell you many times the story about when my dad, uh, when I was a kid uh, and I was going through hard times and he would say, you're a John Wesley. Before I knew who John Wesley was, I was him, <laughs> right? Because he would say it. John Wesley was a preacher. He was a Methodist preacher. He was very short with a high voice. And my dad would say, you're a John Wesley. And I started to identify, I will be a short preacher with a high voice one day, right? <laughs> it came into fruition, right? Like, that's it, okay? What I do with my kids, with my sons, Paul uh, a spiritual father speaks to young Timothy and he says in 1 Timothy 6, 11, but you, O man of God, pursue righteousness. So when my sons were little, I started to call them man of God because I read that in the text. And I thought, that's interesting. Here's Paul, not just calling young Timothy by name, but he's given him a little bit of fum fum. He's given a little, let me, ident let me, let me tell you who you are. Let me tell you how I see you. So I would encourage you, especially you fathers that have sons, especially in an age where there's gender confusion, but you, oh man of God, this is what you are. So I started calling my sons men of God. In fact, my son Dawson, when he was little, he had an orange zip up hoodie and it said man of God on it. My son Justice, he had a little orange hoodie on it that said man of God on it. It was the same hoodie. Why? Because Justice wears everything Dawson wears five years later, right? That's how we roll. He will wear that white shirt in five years. What's up? Just kidding. Sorry, Just, that's not funny. No, you don't like that. All right, just kidding. All right. You speak it, say it. So the only way that you will be able to speak blessing is if you are someone that you're listening to the Holy Spirit, you are Ephesians 5, overflowing or drunk on the Holy Spirit. The whole idea, that whole, that whole concept when Paul's saying that is, is filled up over your spirit-filled father. So you're not making things up. You're actually hearing the Holy Spirit and then you, then you say what you see. You say what you hear. You speak the word of God. So, so you're saying you're a John Wesley or you're saying you're a Daniel. You might be going through a challenge in the darkest culture and you live in Babylon, but you are a Daniel. You're standing up for righteousness and son, I am so proud of you. Or daughter, I'm so proud of you. You are an Esther or, and you don't have to use Bible language. You could say you are courageous or you are fearless or, but you're speaking it. And people tend to become what the person they esteem the most thinks of them. So, 
So, what, so whatever you, so if you read the word of God, there's this thing called the father's blessing all the way through the Old Testament. When we read Genesis, Jacob lines up his 12 sons and says, this is who you are. This is who you are. This is who you are. All of us have a tendency to become what the people that we esteem the most, how they see us. So as father or mother, you're speaking blessing. Temptation is to not speak blessing, but to say what your flesh feels. And in the midst of the family, that's the hot box where it's often the most common to live in the flesh and to say what I feel instead of say what the spirit would say through you. But in the moments where you're able to look at them and say the important thing, I had a grandfather that looked at me, uh, my mom's dad, he looked at me and he said to me, uh, David, this is going to sound bad. It gets better. God did not make you very big. It gets better. But then he said, but you sure are loud. He gave you a big voice and you're going to do great things for God with that big voice. Now, I don't remember much about what my grandfather said. But I remember that. I, I can't. I remember that. I remember the way he sang. Um, I, I remember some of his kindness, but I remember that moment because I remember thinking, I do. And, and, and a flesh-filled grandfather in that very same moment would look at a young David and say, you loud, obnoxious punk, let me listen to the news, right? But a spirit-filled grandfather impacting generations, man, God did not make you big, but he gave you a big voice. You're going to use that for the kingdom one day, my boy, right? So you're looking for the opportunity to speak to bless. As Dallas Willard says, you want to speak the intention of God. What, what is God saying? Jesus, we know the Matthew 28 version of the Great Commission, and that's the most popular one that we quote, and, and it's a beautiful one. When Luke gives the Great Commission, and he tells us just before Jesus ascends into heaven, listen to the way that he speaks about Jesus with his disciples. Verse 50, when he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken into heaven. Wow. Last moments, Jesus with his disciples. And I don't know what was said, but he's blessing them. So, little children, you're dropping them off at school. Fum, fum. Hmm. Teenagers, um, you're driving them in the car and you could have a conversation about anything. You're turning off Spotify and you're turning on the spirit-filled voice and you're blessing and you're, you're speaking to them who they are. You're declaring it, you're speaking it. So one of the habits that is, the way that I've tried to quantify it and work on it in my life is just to try to, for me, the, the, the first habit that I, was telling you about to enter. For me, that is a once a week attempt to be one-on-one, to have a conversation, get alone, do something. Second habit that I'm giving you is this. For me, it's a daily blessing. That's the way that I think of it in my own mind. That's the way that I journal it. That's the way that I think about it. Now, do I always hit it? No, but I would say this one's really easy because this is one you don't even necessarily, um, this can be so simple where you're just speaking some identity. So even if I look at justice and I say, hey, pal, I'm speaking identity. I'm speaking, you're my friend, right? So I call my boys pal, right? My dad called me pal. My granddad called my dad pal, right? So some of you hear this and you say, hey, it's easy, David, for you to preach this and do some of this because your dad did it for you. You're correct. So some of the time we would take that and say, oh, not fair for me. We're not talking about fair. What I wanna inspire you to is, if you didn't have a father that did things like this for you, you start it. You be the first in your generation. So I would say I am a spoiled brat punk. Yes, I'm giving you stories about my grandfather that did some very godly things. Yes, I, but you know what I would say? I would say, I just thank God for that. 
I just thank God that, man, I'm living in some of that generational blessing. So don't use that as a license to say, I'm out. Use that as inspiration to say, as for my great-grandchildren, I want them to one day have, where it's easier for them. So you worked diligently to get set free from pornography. You worked diligently to make sure that your family had some prayer times and you changed the way, and you're the first generation Christian. And then your son or your daughter will say, hey, we could pray together. Hey, does that make sense? So you're starting it. So don't use, so don't use the, I, I mean, I, I have so, I, I unashamedly, I have so many things where I just, I just kind of do them. Where, but, and, it, and it is easier for me because someone paved the way. And I want to invite you to use that as, as inspiration. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, because you've got generational thinking. Okay, not, not, not years from now, you know, I, 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 I've got a, an excuse and I'm frustrated. No, I'm just, I'm grit. Jesus saved me. I'm, I'm singing that song, Homecoming, that Jacob Ray just let us in. And now I'm going to change the direction of my, of my family future. Okay, so uh, third one is this. Jesus uh, modeled being with his father. Let me give you that third identity. I didn't say it, but the third identity, if you, first you'll see yourself as a friend. Then if you speak what I just said, you will start to see yourself as an encourager. If you speak, 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 and you, if every day you start to bless, you'll, you'll stop seeing yourself as a grumpy man and you'll start to think of yourself, well, I mean, I do this every day. You'll start to see yourself as an encourager. Okay, third one is this. Model being with the father. Luke 4, 14, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. Luke 5, 16, but Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Luke 6, 12, one of those days, Jesus went out to a mountainside to pray and spent the night praying. Stop there, keep going. You've heard this message many times about being with the father. Jesus spent time praying. The disciples came to Jesus in Luke 11 and said, teach us to pray. One of the reasons why they had a hunger to pray was because they saw Jesus praying. So what people tend to do, what people see. So as you spend time and make a habit of getting alone to be with God, whatever you make a habit doing is a priority. Temptation is to always allow the financial uh, scenario and all the busyness to keep you from first things. But we are people of first things. So we're people that do pray first. We're people that do come and on a Sunday declare he has risen from the dead. And on the first day of the week, we're gonna worship God. We are people that take the first 10% of what we get and give to God and say, it all belongs to you. We're, so, and the first thing you can do is say, I'm going to be with God. I'm gonna come before God. I'm gonna be with him and I'm gonna pray. This is one of the things that my father modeled so well for me. I, I'm, I'm not... No excuses. When I got, as a young adult, to college, working on my undergrad, I found myself spending time alone with God and journaling because that's what my dad had trained me in. It's what I knew. So my dad was a great athlete. My dad was, uh, I mean, he, he, was, he was a baseball player. He ran track in college. He was a great athlete. Played basketball. He was actually a basketball coach. Great at academics. He was, he's, he's, it's actually embarrassing for me to keep listening to these things, so I'm gonna stop. But he was great at a lot of things. But he actually took a season where he stepped aside, put his, put his trombone down, didn't do it as much. Didn't, didn't do some of the hobbies that he had. Why? To be intentional with being with God, being with his family. So those habits that he formed started to form in me. So when I was a freshman in college, I actually called up another pastor and I said, hey, I know you're a young and old pastor. I know you don't know me, but I'm 18 years old. I'm a, I'm a freshman in college and I'm used to being discipled. Would you disciple me on Tuesdays? Okay, now why did I do that? Because in my brain, somebody disciples me every Tuesday. Does that make sense? I'm not bragging. I'm just telling you it's a habit. It's what was formed. It was, it was, it was in my brain. It's the way that I worked. So, so what you want to do is you want to model being with Jesus, spending time with God, and then you will start to identify yourself as I'm a disciple of Jesus. So the enemy will come along and say, you are a messed up man, that you, you have so many addictions and you are so broken. And, and you, by being with Jesus, some days you miss it. I'm not saying that you never you know, miss it, but you have this vision. I am someone that comes before God, even if it's five minutes, even if it's, even if it's 10 minutes and pray in my car, turn off ESPN radio, uh, the drive, that's my time. The bike ride, great, great. But here's my time with God, the walk. You walk around the neighborhood 
every day and you have, it's a seven minute walk and you're starting with seven minutes with Jesus, great. And then with time, maybe as you get older, got more time, that will increase and you'll put investment there. You start to build that habit, you'll start to identify yourself more and more as a disciple. Fourth one is this, pray, pray. So David, wasn't that number three? No. Number three is, I want, I want to invite you to be alone with the Father. Number three, I want to invite, number four, I want to invite you to pray specifically for your children like an intercessor. So that moment, like when Jesus says to Peter again, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. So when you, uh, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus identifies to Peter, I'm praying for you. Not only do I love that Jesus is praying for him, but Jesus tells Peter, I pray for you. One of the best ways you can love your children is to care by praying for their soul. You pray for them. Jesus prays for his disciples in John 17. He prays for the Father to protect them. It's a part of what he does. He prays for them. So you could have a picture on your iPhone of each kid and you swipe and you pray for each one. You create a note and you're gonna pray for each one and how can I pray for you? And then in your one-on-one time with them, how can I pray for you? Hey, what's up? How can I pray for you? Very rarely does a person anywhere ever decline, don't pray for me. But if you're able to say, hey, how can I pray for you? And you've entered enough into their world, sometimes you don't even have to ask, you know. Hey, just wanna let you know, I'm praying for that bully that's beating you up at school. Hey, just what you know, I know you got that, that, that hard class where it seems like, you know, you're not making the grade, you, I'm praying for you. Hey, that relationship that's a little bit difficult, just want you to know, hey, I'm praying for you. Jesus told to Peter, I'm praying for you. You look at them, you tell them, hey, I'm praying for you. And then I would invite you, you will start to develop an identity as an intercessor. So right now you think, oh, prayer and intercession. That's for the weird people on Monday night. What's up, right? Come on, baby. And all the intercessors, we said, amen, brother, all right? Here's what will happen. You start to pray for your kids, you will identify yourself more and more as an intercessor. And in time, you'll fall in love with it. Why? When you're praying for your children, you will start to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit about your kids. You will start to get strategies. You'll get ideas. You'll just start to be surprised, like, huh. And so you just go about your business and I got you know, 47 emails and I got three tasks on whatever kind of web system you're currently tracking all of your finance and your tasks or all that. And so you have a reason why, oh yeah, other people are the people that pray for my kids. Nope, you're the kind of person you make a little less money so that you can pray for your kids. You're the kind of person, you get a little less accolades. You just don't get to watch game five of the NBA finals. You, whatever it is, you make a choice. I am this, I'm gonna pray for them. Not only will you get revelation, you will watch the burden of your heart for them grow. So you will care about the choices that, that you make. If you're not praying for them, you'll be like, oh, they're, they're, they're getting older, they just need to make their own choices. Uh, no, that's, that's cynical man talk. Here's what you are. You're a praying father that cares about the affections and the allegiances of their hearts. And you want them to follow Jesus all of their days. And you care about their eternal destiny. So there are some fathers that care more about where their kid will go to college than where their kid will spend their eternal destiny. You care about their eternal destiny. You care about the things that last forever. And you say, David, right now, I don't even feel that. Pop quiz sneaky hack, start praying for him. You will be surprised how, how those, those um, desires will be like, start to sprout inside of your heart. So that could be a prayer journal. That could be on your computer. That could be that, could be that you change your wallpaper on your laptop to a picture of your kids and you pray for them. That, you, you do you, you come up with, a, that, but develop a way where you choose, I'm gonna pray for them. You'll start to identify yourself as an intercessor. All right, next one, number five, we're cruising here, is listen, listen. Jesus asks his disciples questions all the time. In fact, we have Jesus asking 300 questions. So we only have a few years of Jesus' life. And when we have Jesus talking, it's amazing how often he's asking disciples, asking questions of his disciples. And he asks questions when he teaches. He's a question-asking machine. So there, let's go back to Matthew 16, where he looks at the disciples 
And it says this, when they came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, Jesus looked at disciples and he said, who do people say that the son of man is? Okay. And he's asking a question. They answer and he says, now, who do you say that I am? So he's going after what's inside of you. Okay. I want to be a little bit mean here for just a moment, but I'm going to come back and be nice at the end. One of the things that I think is easy for me as a father and probably easy for you is to skip over really listening and dialoguing and just monologuing what's right. Why? Because we are old. We have lived decades longer. So our temptation is to just bulldog our way through and say, let me tell you how it is because it's what we feel. The problem is, is that um, our children, their hearts are um, soft, tender, and if you will listen and let them open up, it will actually be a gateway. Jesus does this. Jesus asks, listens, and then whoom, answers. I, confession, I had a friend I would, when I was a, a, a teenager, I would go to his house. His dad, sharp, I mean, plaid button downs, perfect pleated pants, great guy, knew the Bible, good man, very good man. And his father would talk to us about the Bible, which is beautiful. And he said theologically correct things. But the tone and the way that he said it, I, picture me, short, mullet, braces, right? I'm listening and I'm, I'm not connecting. Like it's Charlie Brown to me. Like I, I'm not there. Okay. And I'm not trying to be mean, but, but I would listen to my father and my father would ask me loads and loads of questions and I would share. And then he would say, why? And I would say, well, this girl doesn't like me because. He said, why? I said, well, because I'm kind of not as good, cool enough. He'd say, why? And I said, it's your fault. No, I mean, like, I, <laughs> and I would, I would just spill and spill and spill. And even, even after I would get everything, and he'd listen and listen and listen. Even before he asked, he would say, can I tell you what I think? Right? So he would ask if I could. And by that time, I need a drink of water. And I've been talking for three hours. You know, finally, sure. What do you think? Right? But because he cared, because he listened, then I wanted to tell him what was going on. And then he would take, and he would just tweak my thought just a little bit. And he would take it back to what Jesus thinks. He would take it back to scripture. He would take it back. And then I didn't know he was doing this. It took me a while to figure it out, right? But what he was doing is just helping me walk with Jesus. He's helping me know God. Help me make choices. So Jesus listens. He asks questions. And then he speaks. I, I want to invite you to find a, a habit, find a place. This is, now this is different than that first one, because that first one I was saying, get into their world. I think that could be basketball. I think that could be uh, pickleball. I think that could be, that could be anything where you just, you're just with them. Okay. That, that would be what I'll call quantity time. This is dialogue, which is what I'm going to call quality, where you're listening. So one of the ways that Renata and I aim at this is, is, is meals. It's dinner table. So there's some areas that we don't spend money, but one of the places that we do is we'll eat at home. Sometimes we'll go out and I'll be like, I, I want to hear. Everybody splits a salad, only waters, but we're, gonna, but we're eating out. So smile, pretend like you like it, right? Okay, Les was here, so we give a big tip and we invite him to church. All right, so um, you with me? So, but it's, it's dialoguing. So what are you thinking? What's going on in your heart? Talk to me. And, then we, and, 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 and you become a house of friends. You become, there's relationship. It's, not everybody's just doing their own thing. And the only, the only identifier that we are a family is that we live in the same house and we have the same last name. No, we got some degree of, of doing relationship. You do that, you'll start to see yourself as a caregiver. You'll start to identify yourself that you, act, that you care. Okay. Sixth one is this teach. After you've listened much, now this is the moment where you teach. And this is... This is, Jesus does this. Jesus teaches the disciples. This is a lot of what we read in the Gospels. Matthew 5.1, I'll just give you one. When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. He just, he, his disciples came to him and he began to teach them. So 
you definitely want to teach them, hey, this is my trade, and I want you to have my trade. I'm going to teach you this. Beautiful. Hey, we pay bills at our, in our family, so I want to teach you how to pay bills. Great. Okay, we mow the lawn, and so this is how we... Okay, great. Okay, this is what we... Okay, great. I'm not saying that this is the only thing, but it would be awesome if you were to think, what is my vision for teaching the Word of God to my children? What, 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 before, before they, I mean, there was a moment where, uh, where my dad walked with me into my dorm room and he, he, and he hugged me and I was, and he drove five hours back to his city and I was an 18 year old and his 18 years of intentionality was different now that we were no longer in the same house. That day comes for all fathers and there's a moment where they're no longer in your home. So in the years that you do have with them, is, is, is there a vision for teaching the word of God to them? And maybe I do miss out on something that I really like because that's greater. You ask yourself the question again, when I say this, there's no guilt. I'm not guilting anybody. I, I am. I, I think that this church has the greatest fathers that I know of. I look out and I see you and I know some of the most incredible fathers. There's there's no guilt here. All I want to do is just invite all of us fathers to just ask the question, what what could it look like? What, what, as a spirit-filled father, drunk on the Holy Spirit, that has made a decision to take our children by the hand and teach them the way of the master, what could it look like? For Renata and I, we do this with our family. We we, we do a family meeting. In our family meeting, when they were little, we called it tribal Bible and we gave out candy. Then they didn't like candy anymore, so we gave out money. Now I'm too broke, I don't give out money. They just gotta know the Bible because this is how we do it now, right? Like, but, 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 it, but, but what we're doing is we're, we're having a conversation about the word of God. So for us, we don't hit that every day, but we hit it a lot of days, right? And it's just, now it, it used to have a little bit more of monologue, but now my kids are a little bit older. So it's, it's, it's a lot of dialogue, right? It's just talking about the word of God. So one of the things that we're passionate about in this house is helping families do this. So one of the ways that we're going to help accomplish that goal is where we've developed uh, small groups that we're calling dis- uh, family discipleship groups. They're going to launch in the fall. Currently, we have six uh, couples that are going to lead these small groups. Our aim is to have 10. All right. So then after we have 10 small group leaders, our goal is for each one of those small groups to have five families for a total of 50 families where the nature of your small group is once a week gathering with some other parents and just talking about how to make disciples of your children. So if you're interested in that, uh, Joe and Amy Candelaria are the the discipleship coordinators for that part of our church, and they'll be right out here uh, at the info desk. And if you would be interested in that, Joe and Amy will be out there. You can go up, you can sign up. Those will be small groups that'll start this fall. And our aim and our goal is for this to be more than a Father's Day message, but that there would be a way that we could start to live this out. And if you do that, if you start to spend time with your kids in this way, you'll start to even identify yourself as a teacher. That's the way that we see Jesus. Take your kids by the way of the master. Last one, number seven. We made it to the end, everybody. We're almost done, okay? You all right? Can you go one more? Are you with me, with me, with me? One more. Okay, I'll do this one fast. The last one is send, all right? So Jesus sends. We see in Matthew 10, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Jesus sends out. They go do ministry. They come back. Jesus talks about it, helps them. Later on, we know that Jesus is actually going to entrust the enterprise to them. So we know the Great Commission where he actually sends them out to go make disciples like he had made disciples, right? So one of the things that we do as parents is we're intentional. We, meaning all of us, what we want to do is we're intentional about helping our children name their spiritual gifts and then minister. That you, so, so I love a father that says, hey, man, you've got a good arm. You'd make a great quarterback. I, I see the athletic football quarterback gifting on thou. And so I'm going to put you in the right training process so that you can be the backup to Patrick one day and make me wealthy. No, so, so that you can be a football player, right? Or if you have an academic child, or then you would say, I'm gonna make sure you're in the right program so that you can do that. This one's beautiful. This one's beautiful, right? If it's music, we'll do that. We'll say, hey, I hear that. You've got a good voice. I'm gonna put you in. And so I identify that gift. You sing like an angel. And, but okay, you could do that with all those things. And we know how to do that. 
so that they then step into the fullness of what they can do. That's what I'm inviting you to do in terms of their ministry. So Paul lists spiritual gifts. Paul says, he, with the word of God, it tells us spiritual gifting. All of us have a gift. All of us have, I would say, at least one gift. I think a lot of times people have lots of spiritual gifts. You want to you be more passionate, about, more passionate about identifying their spiritual gift than you are their ability to play the trumpet or shoot a basketball. Oh, no, that's so weird. No, it's not. That's Christianity. You're so American, you think it's weird. You're so American that we have a tendency to think, oh, I'm going to put athletics over what lasts for eternity. There's a greater fulfillment in doing what Jesus has called me to do than being rich and famous with the American dream. Sure is quiet. I'm telling you. So so we want to identify. This is what. Now, you're you're you're, you're taking them in the way. You can't do it for them, but you're passionate about it. So one of the things that we have here at, at, at the church is we have, we have fathers and sons that serve on the camera team together. We have, um, we have, we have people that, we have parents that serve with their kids in, in, in Radiant Kids back there. Uh, we'll have serve day on July 15th. We'll have families that come and say, hey, nine-year-old, you know, we spend a lot of days going to baseball games, but one day this summer, we're going to all go and we're going to go serve River of Refuge. We're going to serve some people that are in temporary housing because we want to make a difference for the kingdom of God. And we do actually care about Jesus more than we care about baseball. (laughs) Right? Oh, David, you're so mean and legalistic. I'm not legalistic. I just want to invite you to you go wrestle with God about priorities. You go wrestle. You live in a culture where the whole culture is about so many other things and, and as long as we're, we're, we're talking about it, them where they hurt us, then we're upset about it. But when we talk about idols that upset God's heart, then we get defensive. So I want to invite you to think about what is God's heart? What is, what, what's, what's he think about this? And I'm not being mean. I just want you to just take a moment and say, God, what are you inviting me to? What could it look like? So I would invite you to develop a habit. Serving together. Or doing some form of ministry together. Could be at the church. Could be somewhere else. Could be with Young Life. Could be, in, could be, could be that you go on a trip together. Could that you say, hey, to your, to your spouse, hey, babe, we're going to make sure that every single one of our kids steps on foreign soil and helps t- take care of the poor before they graduate from high school. Get a vision. You could say, hey, babe, we're gonna, we're gonna, we got a vision. We're going to save some money. And we're gonna t- we're, you and I, we're going to take our kids and we're going to go house to house in the mountains of Nepal and share the gospel. You, but, but, but share something... We tend to be programmed into the vision that our culture puts in front of us so that the way that we think is both saying, hey, babe, we got a vision. We got a vision for our kids to have a pool and a football team and have a great education. And we do a lot of really good things, but we leave God out and he's not at the center. I'm inviting you to put Jesus at the center. So when you read the, I'll close with this, the Deuteronomy 6 Shema, right? The idea about that we're gonna impress God on our kids. We're going to, as we walk along the road, when we're sitting at a table, we're going to impress it on their heart. That was the Jewish way of saying, we're going to get Yahweh into the minds. Everything that we do as they walk along the road, as they're, when they lie down, when they eat, like what we put on the door frame, like we're all about Yahweh. Okay. Here's 2023 followers of Jesus living in Kansas city. We're a Jesus centered family. That's what we're about. When we walk, walk along, along the road, for us, it's more like when we drive in the car, our conversations. When we sit in, it's what comes out of us because it's what we care about. All of us talk about what we care about. So we've got this allegiance. We've got this affection that we can put Jesus at the center. So I remember as a kid, I spent lots of time hanging out with friends. I'm an extrovert. I like hanging out with friends. And I would go to friends' houses. And I remember going to a friend's house and they were at Christian home. Godly family. But when I spent time there, it was God in name. But even as a junior high student, I could identify the center of their home was actually sports. Like that's what we talked about. That's what we cared about. That's what, that's, everything I was there. There was, there was a, a sign over the door that says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the conversation, what was really at the center was Sports. 
I, I remember another one. I mean, I had a smart friend. I had more than one, but this guy. And I just remember going to his house in his Christian home. The whole thing, though, it was like all about we will be the smartest and we will. All, and, and I just remember the pressure, like, oh, I better start making A's. You know, like, it was that, that, that if I could have said it, I would say that was the center. I, I mean, I'll give you one more. I, I went to another one that was Christian home and they were righteous. They did the right thing. But man, when I spent time with them, I felt like, man, this is their, their it was about their family name. And we didn't really, it wasn't relationship with Jesus as much as it was the behavior that let the whole community know that we will do the right thing. And I'll tell you, I started that bumper for a reason where it said what was built on sand fell. And I will tell you that the families that I'm referencing went through some times that when the storms came, struggled. I remember going into a home. They were incredibly musical. I mean, not as good as the Rays, of course. I mean, truly, I mean, I mean that. I was using them as like amazing, but you're like, they're three stars, you're five, right? The family Von Ray, they got, they got game, but uh, not, as, not as much as the race, but, but they were, the, they were the, the musical family and they had music reputation. And when you went to their home, it was all about Jesus. I mean, mom and dad, all about Jesus. Mom and dad, focused, relationship. So music did not become supreme. It was, a, it was a solid second, but Jesus was so vividly number one. And one of the things that the enemy will come to do is try to get anything above Christ. Even the way that you center your home Every family's got a culture. Something's gonna be at the center. Our vision is to put Jesus right at the center. It's how we think, it's how we talk, it's who we are, it's what we care about. Not perfect. David, why are you so strict? Why is it so hard? No, no, no. I'm not talking about perfection. I know everybody gets mad at me when I talk like this because they're like, oh, it's just the bar's too high. No, no, I'm not talking about, there's no bar. There's no bar. I made that up. There's no bar. There's just a vision. Jesus, what do you want us to do? Jesus, what, what, as for me and my house, how? I know. I was Gen X. When I was a kid, I heard the same sermons. Hey, we're losing the next generation. They're leaving the local church. And my generation, for the most part, according to the numbers, in mass, I'm in my 40s, has left the local church. And I know that right now, there's the language. Oh, we're gonna lose the next generation. They're walking away from the local church, okay? I wanna invite you. The same statistics makers that are saying we're hosed. Could it not be that we're the people that pray and believe? No, in the next generation, we're gonna see a million young people ushered into the kingdom. We're gonna, we're, as for me and my house, we're gonna put Jesus right at the center. And we're gonna be a praying people that believe God. We're gonna go after him. Fight for him, your kids, and not just our kids. We're gonna throw conferences. And we're gonna go after as many kids as we can. Let's stand up together and pray together. We place your hand on your heart. Father, I lift up every father and mother in this house. God, I ask that you would help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, studying the way of the master and to the best of our ability in the years that we have, leading our children in the ways of Jesus. We live in a time that it's easy to do anything but that. But I pray for my friends today. I look out and I see so many incredible fathers with their hands over their hearts. And I thank you. I pray you would bless them and strengthen them with might in their inner man. 
I pray that you would give them a supernatural strength and a grace. I pray the blessing of God. I pray that there would be no condemnation today, but only vision and life and joy and ideas and revelation and hope. Today, if you would say that you're like a child that is far from God, but he is the good father and you want to return or maybe for the first time become a child of God, I want to invite you to begin that journey today. You can begin that journey by praying this prayer. And this isn't all that you say, but this is how you take a step. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, Jesus. And he died on a cross in our place for our sin. And he created a way for you to have eternal life. Your job is to receive the free gift by saying yes and giving him your life. And if you desire to do that today, would you say, Jesus, I give you my life. Save me. Give me a new start. I give you everything. Make me a new person. I want to spend eternity with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want to invite our ushers to come forward. And if you prayed that prayer today, uh, we're uh, so excited to go on the journey with you. We want to invite you to come back here uh, every Sunday and continue to develop friendships, get connected in a small group. One of the things that you could do, we have Bibles up here. You could come up here and we could pray with you at the end of the service. We have a Bible that we could give you. You can fill out that card that we've given you. It'll be our way to email you and help you get connected to a small group where it helps you as a new believer get connected with people that want to help you be a disciple of Jesus. And it would be our greatest joy and passion to help you on that journey. All right, let's take a moment. Let's pray over our tithes and offerings. Father, we love you. Thank you for this house. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for the good work. Thank you, Lord God, that you're at work. Thank you, Lord God, that you're taking our weak, broken yeses and you're making beautiful things out of the ashes of our lives. But thank you, Lord God, that you're doing it. That we don't have to just, we don't have to just kind of hope that there really are ways that you're at work. You really are touching the next generation. God, you really are using us, just broken people to serve the city. God, you really are using uh, the young people that just the other night said, yeah, I want to go be a missionary overseas one day to take the gospel to the hardest, darkest places around the world. God, you're using this group of people, just our weak yes, to be a radiant light, to point people towards Jesus. Take what we give, use it, Lord God. We honor you and we love you in Jesus' name.